Hey there, welcome to another episode of Rink Talk. I'm Robert McClemon. On today's podcast, we're talking science. My first guest is Colin Robertson. He's a geospatial scientist from Wilfrid Laurier University, and he's going to tell us how backyard rinks can teach us about climate change. My second guest is Michael Berube. He is an expert and award-winning backyard rink maker from Miramichi, New Brunswick, and he's going to tell us how we get the perfect sheet of ice this winter. My final guest is Stephen McNeil. He's a chemistry professor, he's an award-winning teacher, and a backyard rink maker. We're going to talk about our rinks, and we'll also talk about how we get young people interested in science. Stay tuned. If you're a regular listener to the podcast, you'll know that that music was composed especially for us by Keenan Reimer Watts and performed by Keenan, by Clarissa Webb, and by Ryan Dougal. Clarissa and Ryan have their own band, by the way, called A New Ground, and we've put a link to their Facebook page on the rinktalk.org website. So if you're interested, give them a listen. Let's get to my first interview. His name is Colin Robertson. He's a geographer, a geospatial scientist, and a colleague of mine at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo. A few years ago, Colin and I launched a citizen science research project called Rink Watch, where we asked people who have backyard rinks to submit data throughout the winter about backyard skating conditions, and then we would pool that data and use it to track variations in winter weather, and hopefully after a few years, have something to say about climate change as well. Here's an interview I recorded earlier this year with Colin where we talk about the science of backyard rinks and what it can teach us about changes in the natural environment. Hey, Colin. Hey, Robert. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for being on. Uh, So I did a little bit of an intro of what an overview of what Rink Watch is, but um, let's get into a little bit of the details and what exactly are the data that we're collecting through Rink Watch here? So we're basically asking people that are outdoor skaters, have outdoor uh, rinks in their backyards or in their local communities even, to tell us about when they are skating outdoors, when they're able to skate outdoors, um, and kind of use it as an online diary uh, recording their kind of outdoor skating activities, as well as the kind of quality of the ice in terms of how is it nice, hard and fast or kind of slushy and messy. Um, and then we're kind of using that data to looking at it over space and time to, to get a feel for whether people's ability to skate outdoors is changing. So this data, I guess it's on a daily basis, is it? Ideally, yeah. I mean, we don't want to uh, burden people too much, but um, the best case scenario would be someone who is is maybe after work or after school kind of going out and skating and then coming back into the house or on their mobile phone and telling us about it kind of right after it happens um, just so there's no delay or they don't forget to report it. Um, but in reality, it might be, you know, every couple of days, every week, kind of depending when pe- when people can fit it in. Um, but certainly the best case scenario would be daily data from our, our user community. And you've been collecting this data for a couple of years now. So what, what do you do with it once you've got it? 
Yeah, I mean, we kind of started the project without any real clear ideas about about what to do with the data, more just kind of to see if people were interested in this idea and would be willing to contribute this sort of information about their activities um, throughout the winter. And, and it turns out that they were and, and quite interested. Um, so then we started to think of how we could, could look at the patterns of skatability, our, our key kind of metric. Um, across space so looking at different regions so whether people are more able to skate in in the gta in ontario versus calgary um but then also linking the, like local uh weather variables so trying to see how related people's ability to skate is to is to temperature um and seeing how for example if we if we're collecting data over multiple years we can see how the skating season is changing you know, some years are able to skate earlier, later, that might impact the overall length of the skating season. So we can really kind of dig into um, the, the factors that are driving people's ability to skate outside in different areas. And so can you give me an example, for example, um, you know, what is the relationship between temperature and the ability to skate? Is it zero degrees Celsius? As soon as water freezes, you can go skating? Yeah, I mean, that was the first obvious thing to look at. And, and obviously, there is going to be a clear relationship with temperature. We'd heard kind of anecdotally from, um, that minus five was the magic number. Um, and there was some work done by some some other researchers that used the, the Rideau Canal in Ottawa. And so they had a long time series of data and um, a lot of skating activity data, but only for one uh, location. And so we're trying to build on that and, and look at lots of different areas across the country. So we've, we've looked at the, the, the temperature as recorded by Environment Canada and then our skating records. And it does seem to be a pretty good relationship in terms of minus five is when the probability of skating is almost always going above 50 percent. Um, but you can also look into kind of regional variations and, and look at situations where, you know, sometimes when the even when the temperature is higher, for a few days, people will still be out skating, maybe because they're really trying to push push it as hard as they can. Uh, I think we saw that in Toronto, that they were, they were more likely to skate on warmer days in Toronto than they were in Montreal, where they maybe were more accustomed to, to wait for the bitter ice. So um, you're suggesting that maybe Montrealers are fussier about their outdoor rinks? Yeah, that, I mean, seems to be. That seems to be the, the pattern we've seen in, in a couple of years of data in a row anyway. So that's kind of the kind of sorts of interesting comparisons we can start to make once we have, you know, recorded this data over a number of years. And so what can we talk about when we talk about the future? What can we do with this data? How can we can we make forecasts about the ability to skate, uh, you know, 50 years from now because, of you know, under global warming? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've done that uh, where we've taken the relationships we've observed at the, the Environment Canada data and the skating data and then fit those relationships to climate change projections to look at okay you know in 2020 if the, the ipcc climate change scenario says you know we're going to see this sort of temperature change we, we might expect this drop in the outdoor skating season length based on our, our data so we've been able to do that and basically kind of project how the skating the number of days in the skating season will change over time and so, uh, you know, can you give us a forecast? So like if we're looking, say, for Toronto, where I'm not too far from, or say Montreal, I mean, you know, how big is the decline going to be? Yeah, I mean, looking out to 2040, say, we're looking at, you know, something around 60 days for, where it's 
currently about 72 days. So, you know, two week decline by about 2040, 2050. The other really interesting thing I think to look at with this is, is the timing of the temperature changes. And so, you know, if you get a real warming period kind of early in the spring or in February, for example, and everybody's ranks melt, they may be less likely to go out and rebuild them. Uh, and that would further kind of reduce the overall amount of skating days they would have. You're out in, uh, you're out in British Columbia right now, are you? I am, yeah. Is that where you're originally from? That's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, not a lot of outdoor skating in my uh, growing up. <laughs> so, did, did you ever have an outdoor rink yourself in the backyard or in the neighborhood park? No, well, I mean, there, I can think of a few a few winters uh, when the local lake froze over and we would go skating. Um, but those were outlaws maybe one or two years in my entire childhood. So um, the whole culture of outdoor skating is fairly new to me. So, you know, being part of this project was really kind of interesting introduction to this kind of real Canadian pastime. Um, that And the West Coast were kind of, you know, haven't been able to to really engage in that. I played a lot of basketball and soccer throughout the winter. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how are your skating skills? How would you self-describe them? Yeah, improving, I would say. Yeah, you know, after the first uh, season of Rinkotch, I went out to the secondhand sports store and bought a pair of skates and got a hockey stick and uh, hit our local uh, community park and that has a rink uh, built in it throughout the winter. And, uh, you know, I'm working on it. Cool. Well, listen. Thanks for being on the uh, thanks for being on the podcast, uh, and uh, we'll check in with you again maybe in a future episode to sort of get an update on how things are going in the the coming winter. Yeah, that would be great. Happy to do it. That was my interview recorded earlier this year via Skype with Colin Robertson, who was in British Columbia. My next guest is Michael Brube. He is an expert backyard rink maker from Miramachine, New Brunswick. Here's an interview I recorded with him earlier this year about how you get a great sheet of ice this winter. Hey, Michael. Good morning, Robert. How are you? I'm great. And yourself? Good, good. Listen, thanks for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, I guess the first question that I ask of a lot of people is, could you tell me about your rink? Yes, uh, no problem. My rink's uh, 62 by 32 feet. I originally started off as uh, 64 by 32, but uh, one winter when we put it up, the tarp didn't quite fit the way we wanted to, so it was easier to uh, cut a couple feet off the boards than move the the liner. Um, I have two foot uh, uh, side boards, uh, four foot on the end boards. Uh, the the boards I have are made just like a, you would do in a house, so it has a half inch plywood with two by four framing inside of it. So. The boards are, are quite heavy to lug around, but they're they're quite sturdy for the rink. Um, I have a 14 mil liner, a Polytech liner, a company out of the other side of New Brunswick ha- makes rink liners, so got it from them. And then I also have uh, some light fishnet on the, the ends of the rink to kind of keep the bucks in, playing from going over to the neighbor's yard. It sounds like a beauty. 
It's not it's not too bad. It's a rectangle rink. Uh we you know, we talked about rounding the corners one of these winters, but uh in order to keep the same size of ice surface you got to uh make the link rink a little bigger if you want to keep those corners in. So we may venture that. We have been talking about it for this winter and we may give it a whirl, but for right now right now it's uh, still a rectangular rink. And who uses your rink? Um, well, my three boys, uh, Julian's age 15, Sean age 13, and uh, Evan uh, is age 10. Uh, so my three definitely use it. Evan, the youngest, probably the one uh, who uses it the, the most now. And there's also uh, three boys, uh, three or four boys in the neighborhood that are uh, pretty much on it every every chance they get. They're the, the true uh, uh, hockey uh, avids. They're just... They're just addicts for for the game of hockey, and they can't wait. As soon as they get home from school, they're the ones that are that are over uh, and use it actually probably the most. And then they have uh, friends that are also uh, love the game. So there's at any time there's usually three, four of them. Uh, and then as soon as my uh, boys get home, uh, they join them as well. And so there's always there's always a game going on. The the lights are usually on most uh, winter nights, and uh, you can hear the pucks banging off the boards at any time. And do any of these kids play organized hockey? Yes, my my two boys, uh, my oldest and my youngest, uh, still play uh, minor hockey. Middle fellow played till uh, uh, till he was in Adam, but he picked up gymnastics uh, full time. So he he trains about uh, sixteen hours a week. So uh, there's not much time left for uh, getting out on the on the ice. Uh, and the other boys. Uh, uh, I do believe all play competitive hockey now. The the local neighborhood kids, uh, either playing uh, AAA or or A. Now I've talked to uh, I've talked to rink makers for quite a number of years now, and this is a recurrent theme: is that it's not just for their own kids that they build these rinks. They build them almost like their neighborhood informal neighborhood community centers. Is that sort of the way your rink operates? Ab- absolutely. Um, when again you're you're putting they, the the dads of. Uh, Two or three of these boys uh, do help out and build it. Uh, I was uh, when I moved into this neighborhood. Uh, the people before me, uh, they had three boys as well, and um, they were the rink builders. That was their role. That we responsible. We have another neighbor that uh, has the pool, so he handles the pool duties uh, in the summertime. So when I moved into the neighborhood, I was told to uh, I was going to be looking after the rink, which was good because I I had brought my boards from my my previous house. As dads, you want, uh, you know, you always want to keep an eye on your kids, and sometimes it's easier just to have them uh, in your own backyard than to be driving them here and driving them there uh, to the, the few uh, outdoor rinks the community runs or has. Uh, there's not many of them now. I think there's only one or two left here in Miramichi. Um So if it's not in your backyard, it's uh, probably not going to, they're not going to get out on it. And and I do do think the community they they do come together. Oddly enough, you asked me about who using it in the community. I did have a, um, I think it was two winters ago. I had a Facebook post, and this is how it spreads throughout the community. I had a Facebook post, uh, a message from a woman who had just moved from Nova Scotia, and she wanted to take her little fellow on the ice, and uh, heard that I uh, I would let anyone use my rink. Uh, so I had sent a direct message back to her and said, "Listen, you want to, He wants to try to skate. Come on by." It's well known that uh, you know I uh, I don't mind the the kids out on the rink. The, I said the, the neighborhood kids uh, invite quite a few friends over. The the rules and are, are laid out uh, quite nicely for them, and they get it. Uh, so the messes get cleaned up, and uh, they're real good now. Obviously, they're a little older about picking up you know the sticks and the uh, 
and the pucks and that so they understand the the snowblower when i go out if i catch a sticker or puck that they're done for and uh and they'll have to shovel off for the rest of the winter and they don't want that so they're, they're pretty good at it but me being dead i do check the rink uh, every night really well first thing i do when i come home after work check the rink see what's on there i check it before i go to bed and i check it again in the in the morning before i leave so it sounds like a real labor of love this rink uh, what, do, what what do you personally get out of doing this uh just just to see the boys uh playing uh, that's you know about having fun i mean i, I grew up playing on outdoor rinks uh, my father had built myself my first uh rink uh, was small in the backyard and fortunate enough where I grew up there was a community rink right across the street so as I got a little better I was able to go across and, uh, and my father helped out uh, the community rink as well because they would either go out to flood it or they had uh, we used to look after scraping it so the city would uh, or the town at that time uh, would come up and blow it off and uh, and flood it uh, if you you know kept the ice uh, in decent shape and did and did scrape it off so um, that just become part of something dead. My father uh, grew up with uh, outdoor rinks himself, uh, neighborhood uncles, cousins building rinks for, for when he was a little fella, and he, he was very passionate about it. Gets passed on, and and just to listen, just to listen to the kids and how much fun they're having, and and and, and the conversations. Just uh, there's some nights you can look out and they're just sitting on the boards for half an hour with their skates on, and one guy will go out and take a twirl and take a slap shot. And then they sit down and they're just talking. And for the most part, it's talky ball or uh, I suspect the age they're getting in a couple of years' times here, it's going to be girls. But uh, for the most part, it's it's just sports. And you mentioned you're a coach. Are there particular skills that you think a, a kid can develop on a backyard rink or perfect on a backyard rink that maybe they can't necessarily do, uh, you know, on an indoor rink or through formal coaching? Well, I, you can see part of the debate uh, with, I mean, with, it started in, in novice and IP now that they're going to the half ice and you understand the, the small ice games, which is a huge focus for uh, Hockey Canada and huge focus myself. And that and that comes right back to that's the skills you learn on playing those, the backyard rinks. It's quick turns, uh, stick handling, uh, learning how to play the game in traffic, which is, I mean, I think for so long, um, that's what made Canadians good hockey players is those, those small ice games. Um, we can handle pucks in a, in a phone booth, they say, and you know, you can take body, some body contact. You just, you learn how to fight through the, uh, skates and sticks and what, and, and stick handling. It's, it's just the speed of the game. Yeah. I mean, you've been involved with, through your own family, building rinks now for, it sounds like decades. Um, what are some of the what are some of the challenges that you face, particularly given the environment where you are in New Brunswick, in terms of keeping a good ice surface? Uh, it's weather, weather, weather. Uh, one thing I, I do have the flexibility. Uh, anyone that goes out there that builds them, I know from our community that has asked. I said, you know, one of the advantages I've had over the last uh, four or five years, uh, in particular, is the my flexibility in my in my job. I have an office job. I'm not too far away. And if I don't have scheduled appointments, I can, you know, scoot home if we we get a little snow or a mixed bag of snow and rain and I can I get it cleaned off. But it's all it's all weather dependent here in Miramichi where I am. Um, you, I really pay attention to the forecast in the winter, uh, trying to time it for, you know, when the heavy snow falls, you know, whether it's going to be freezing rain and then turning into snow 
or if it's snow first and freezing rain at the end. So depending on what the weather's going to do is whether I'm going to flood it, whether I'm going to clean it, whether I'm going to leave it. Uh, I've seen some days where I've seen it turn from, uh, you know, snow into rain and then turn into freezing rain and then back into snow and the temperature drop. So I'll time it, try to get it timed so I can uh, get the uh, the snow or the freezing rain off it at, at the right time. Take, for example, last year, uh, we had a, a fairly mild uh, and wet December. I, the 2000, I think 2012 to 2000, up until last year, we had been on at the um, first part of December and I was able to keep it into uh, the early part of March. And then last year, we actually didn't skate till uh, I think it was Christmas Eve, actually. Hey, Christmas Eve or New Year's Eve. I do believe it was Christmas Eve. And we we had the ice storm uh, roll here through the end of January, and that was pretty much it. Our, our temperature um, just seemed to be swinging up and down all January and February. Every year is different one winter to the next. But over the course of your life from, from when you were a kid, have you seen any changes in, you know, the length of the skating season or the you know, the variability of the, uh, you know, the winter conditions, or is it just as variable as it's always been? It seems to me the the winters at one time, we had a lot more snow uh, and it was a lot colder. Uh, it seems to me we were able to keep the rinks uh, a little longer uh, and keep the ice uh, a little harder uh, throughout the wintertime. I, I get a sense that, and, I, and again, I come back to even the, the good years that, I had over the last two or three, um, exception of this one, uh, we still had those uh, swings in weather, uh, you know, rains throughout, uh, you know, January into January, get that January thaw into February. So it, it does seem like it's a little more mild. Uh, I know um, when I lived in the other house, we did have a, a stretch of rain uh, and I had a good ice surface built up. I probably had six or seven inches or more. And I seen myself going home during the rainstorms and and poking holes just to get the water off the rink. We actually had uh, we had uh, rigged up a uh, um, vacuum uh, just to get the water off the rink because it was going to be one of those days where it was it had rained quite hard, and then it was going to clear and the temperature was going to be minus twenty by the following. Uh, and so again, it was uh, to get the water off the the ice uh, and out of the rink so that it would freeze again. But I, I'm I do think the water, we do see those swings a lot more. Now, this this past year was even more extreme um, with the weather that we had, uh, you know, starting with that ice storm. And then, again, like I said, it seemed every uh, three or four days it was two and three above zero and then uh, minus 20 and then two or three above. So it just it just seemed to continue to cycle through. So. Well, tell me a little bit more detail about this vacuum rig that you had, because I guess the idea was there was so much water pooled on the ice, it would ruin the surface. You wanted to get that off before the temperatures dropped again. What was this vacuum rig that you put together? It was a buddy actually had a large shop vac. Uh, I think we took the uh, we took the bag and all out of that, and we used it as the, the wet vac. Well, I was just thinking even the uh, even the rink here, now the liner I have is uh, holds most of the water in. Um, but it is actually, uh, we actually had to add to the door here two years ago um, because the water was coming out, out the door. I didn't have a high enough lip, so we've added, I think I got two more pieces of two by four on up there uh, at the door, and I've brought the liner up even higher because we have been getting uh, more rain. With the liner and the way it's set up, you, you actually want to hold the water till you get your base, and then after that, you want to have it so it actually runs and drains up uh, so it doesn't uh, build up because it, 
again, the weather seems to be, uh, you know, above zero. And then it's the quick drops to minus 20 and minus 30. So if you get if you get caught with that water on the ice, it seems to, you know, it gets a little bumpier and seems to take that much more work to uh, to get the ice back into skating shape. For experienced rink makers like yourself, what is one tip that you would give somebody to say, this is how you really get, you know, a, a really fine surface of ice. So this is for the experienced rink maker. What would you suggest? Uh, get level ground. That was uh, the key to uh, my current residence. I actually, the first year we had it, it was, it was quite sloped. Uh, so it took a little bit more work, and then I said never again. Uh, and I had a, a landscaping contractor come in and actually level up the backyard. And obviously, we use it in the summertime for soccer and everything else, and it's a, it's a lot more level. But is start with that level ground. Um, the hours uh, I know friends have put into it. They said, well, I don't have quite level enough ground, and they start. And every one of them tell me, go, oh, I didn't realize how level that ground is, and sit there and spend, you know. 30, 40 hours uh, just to build it up to get it to where they're actually actually mating its skating ability. So I know the I probably have, at the most, I have uh, probably a two-inch difference uh, from one side to the other. So I get I get lots of ice. It gets flat and level early, and then it – so when people are adding to their to their rinks, you know, just to build it up to get it level to start, I'm, I'm just adding a flat surface, and I just continue to – add the layers so if you're gonna for the the amount of time and the labor you put it if you can uh, start with level ground let's say i'm a mom or a dad who just wants to go out there inspired by your uh conversation with me today and says okay i'm gonna go out and build my kid uh their very first rink um what are sort of you know some of the basic introductory tips that you would give somebody obviously start with a level piece of ground uh then what are the sort of the the next key steps that they should think about I would look at, you know, look at a liner. You don't necessarily have to buy an, uh, a purpose-built uh, skating liner. I've, I've used, you know, just the uh, the poly, the th- the thin plastic. Uh, that's really just to keep the the water and this the uh, the water off of uh, from the sides. Once you kind of make that bowl shape, it'll start building up. Um, Get yourself some some nice boots. <laughs> I have a Halley Hansen suit. I'd recommend one of those on those nights, and and get yourself some of the uh, the Vulcan boots from uh, I think they're the Kamek by Kamek or whatever from Canadian Tire because there's going to be some some chilly nights, uh, and and find a few people to uh, to help out. Uh, as far as the ice goes, um, so depending on on the ground, obviously you want uh, you want the surface white underneath as you can. Uh, so if you can't go with the line and you're building on the ground, you're going to want to uh, pack down the snow that's there. So again, you're, you're weather dependent. Um, so you, if you're going to do it just on the ground, you have to wait for the a certain snowfall to, to happen and just the right amount of snow uh, to add to it and to uh, to pack it down. So what does the future hold for you in your rink? Let's wrap it up with this question. Are you going to be building this rink into the future? How long are you going to keep at it? And uh, and uh, what sort of words of uh, parting wisdom would you like to share? Well, I have made a, I've made a promise to keep it uh, for as long as we're in, in this house. Uh, again, there's still a couple. Actually, there's still my buddy uh, across the street has a couple of kids that are going to be, they're just uh, starting into hockey in a few years. So I said I'll maintain it as long as, as they're around and as long as we're in this house. Um, we are talking, we are looking at it. We have been, you know, the last, we, every year we talk about uh, making some modifications and I'm going to have a little quieter uh, September 
this year, so we're actually going to, uh, like I said, we're going to paint the board this afternoon. Uh, I'd like to modify my uh, lights right now. I have just two regular shop lights that sit on the stands. Uh, we took the stands off and just screwed them to the deck. We're actually going to look at uh, mounting something to the four corners, kind of change that design up. I do have to go with a heavier uh, netting on the back of the rink. Um, we're just using a plastic uh, fish net right now, and I'm going to have to go to something a little heavier because the boys are, uh, they can shoot holes in the, the current one pretty easily right now. And also, I think uh, just looking at some of the other designs that are out there on the internet and Facebook uh, pages and, and the Rink Watch uh, site uh, as well is um, we're gonna. I think we're gonna try the LED lights in the ice. I got a buddy that kind of wants to try it out, and he'd, he'd hook it up for us. Uh, so I think we may run and order some uh, red line and two blue lines and uh, put those in the ice, and uh, maybe put the lines on the on the board. Um, definitely don't want to put anything on the ice. Uh, I know other people have tried to put the uh, the lines right on it, but again, it just draws the heat up. So I've always flooded with just uh, hot water and a garden hose. But I have a friend who actually built himself one of those uh, uh, manual Zambonis. Uh, so I'm going to get that from him and we'll try that out uh, this year. It'll save a little bit of uh, hot water down on the uh, on the ice. Do you think that uh, do you think that hot water makes a, a difference when you're flooding? Once once you have the the ice surface built up, the hot water definitely does uh, it does help. It you know it smoothens it out. Uh, it smoothens it out on the top and just gets rid of any of those little uh, the little uh, skate uh, marks uh, a little bit quicker. Um, except once you do have it built up, then you don't mind putting a little bit of hot water out onto it, and it will melt and freeze and kind of fill in the gaps a little better. And depending on if I know uh, on a Saturday or Sunday, if the boys are going to be on it quite a bit, we are going to have a big game. I will go out and reflood. Uh, and put a little bit of hot water on it, and it does soften up the ice for a little bit, so you don't get the uh, the large flakes, which generally happens on a backyard rink when you get those cold, cold temperatures. Michael, it's been a real pleasure chatting rinks with you, and uh, and if I I hope I get the chance to come out there to New Brunswick and have a skate on your rink. It sounds fantastic. Sounds good. I I look forward and happy to host you. Thanks a lot, Michael. All right, Robert. Appreciate it. Thank you. That was Michael Barube, and I reached him via Skype at his home in Miramichi, New Brunswick. My final guest on today's podcast is Stephen McNeil. He's a backyard rink maker, a parent, a chemistry professor, and an award-winning teacher at Wilfrid Laurier University. Here's a conversation I recorded with Stephen earlier this year, where we talked about rinks, about science, and a bunch of other stuff. I'll let you listen for yourself. I think you'll like this conversation. Hey, Steve. Hi, Robert. How are you? I'm great. And yourself? Not too bad. How about we start by talking about your backyard rink? Could you describe it for us? Okay, well, um, you know, I've been doing the backyard rink for many years now, and it, it's still fairly basic. Um, uh, you know, I have my my two by eights and a tarp, and that's essentially it. Um, what I like about it, though, is that it's a it's a decent size. Um, in recent years, it's been twenty four by 
56. Um, so, you know, we've got a couple of nets out there and, and lots of room for my three kids to skate around. And what got you into making rinks in the first place? Is this something you've done sort of ever since you've uh, been a homeowner or is it something you've gotten into lately? <laughs> it's funny that you ask that. Um, I actually started building uh, backyard rinks before uh, my first child, Madeline, was was walking. <laughs> I knew it was something that I was going to want to do, something that I, I, I wanted to do for my kids. And uh, so I started, you know, in the early years, just experimenting you know, after a heavy snowfall, go and pat down the snow and, and start flooding, you know, without the rink, without the boards, just to see what kind of ice I could make. And so I did that for the first few years. And, you know, basically, you know, with each of the three, each of our three kids, Madeline, Nolan and Anna, as soon as they were able to walk, they were on, you know, um, uh, those double blade skates and <laughs> out on the rink as soon as I could get them out on the rink. I mean, what do your kids get out of skating on the backyard rink? I mean, is it sort of like a neighborhood playground? Are they practicing skills? What's going on out there? You know, I think the beauty of it is that, you know, you could, you know, kids are so busy. We have them in lots of activities, but it's something where, you know, they can get home from school and they can just walk out into their own backyard and put on the skates and and hit the rink for an hour before dinner, you know, and they can do it again right after dinner. And of course, sometimes, you know, just like you used to see with Gretzky when he was a kid, I'll, I'll have, uh, you know, two or three kids uh, eating their dinner with their skates on so that they can just go right back out to the rink after they've, they've finished their meal. Um, and I think, yeah, they're, you know, the, I don't think in the backyard they're really, you know, intentionally working on skills development. They're just out there having fun. But of course, you know, while they're having that fun, the skills development is happening. So, you know, I love being out there on the rink with them, but I also love watching from the window, you know, any any one of my kids or all three of them out there. I love just watching them skate around, you know. Uh, I have a, a daughter in ringette, so she's just skating back and forth, uh, throwing rings at the net. My son plays hockey, you know, he's, you know, trying all these moves and, and you know, it's, it's fun to watch that. They're having fun. But, you know, it's almost like the skills are, are, are happening without them even know, knowing they're happening. They're not they're not focused on them, but, you know, they're certainly developing on the backyard rink. Well, your mention of having fun uh, segues into a question that I wanted to ask, which is one of the reasons why I wanted you on the podcast in the first place is to, the idea of fun in the backyard learning skills, but fun in the classroom as well, because you're an experienced teacher with, a, you know, a reputation for really connecting with students. So could you just kind of touch on that for a little bit, please? Sure. Yeah. Well, certainly in, in teaching, I do believe that, and you know, and there's research to support this, that um, students are going to learn more when they are enjoying what they're learning. And so I, I teach organic chemistry. It's, uh, you know, it's not a fun course for most students. Most students take it as a requirement. Uh, they're not in the classroom because they want to be there. And so you, know, you certainly have to do things to try to make it fun. Um, and so I do that by, you know, bringing in, you know, relevant chemistry, you know, so I start each each class uh, with a slide that where I'm trying to show students that, you know, organic chemistry isn't just something they have to memorize and forget about that, you know, there are real applications and I try to show them those applications as much as I, I possibly can. Um, you know, and I hope that that makes it more fun. In general, I use an active learning technique where instead of lecturing for 80 minutes, I'm 
you know, asking clicker questions, getting students to do informal group work. And I, and I hope that that's, a, you know, more fun than just sitting there listening to me chat about organic chemistry. Uh, the connection to the backyard rink, I think the same thing, you know, if you want kids to develop their, their skills on the ice, uh, you need to create a, a, a fun environment. And so, you know, I could be out there on the backyard rink, you know, trying to, you know, correct uh, you know, a, a skating stride or a, a ringette shot, but I, I choose not to do that. I want that backyard time to be fun. I want the kids out there doing what they want to do, however they want to do it. You know, we can leave the leave the correcting to to the coaches <laughs> when they get to the real rinks, but in the backyard, I want them to have fun. And as I said, um, you know, because they're having fun. They're out there doing it more, and the more they're on the ice, the, the better they're getting at, at skating and, and the various skills associated with those ice sports. You raised an interesting question, Steve, about uh, fun. A lot of organized sports, you see it, uh, participation rates drop as kids get older into their 12, 13, 14 years of age group. And uh, I'm wondering if uh, it's because it often becomes less fun at that age uh, and I want you to, I'm going to push you a bit to connect it to uh, chemistry, because I also find that kids tend to like science when they're in primary school, but as they get to uh, secondary school and into university, they start to develop a fear of science, a fear of things like chemistry. Um, you, do you think it's because, you know, it, it ceases to be fun, whether we're talking about uh, being in school and learning about science or whether we're talking about being in organized sports? Yeah, I think I think you're right that, um, you know, clearly, if if students or kids are having fun, then then they will continue to do those things that are that, that are fun to them. But I think I agree with you that, you know, with science and with organized sports, um, there there must be something that's taking the fun out for, for them to, for you to see those participation rates drop. Now, you're not from Waterloo originally. You're from the Maritimes from Nova Scotia. Uh, did you have a, a backyard rink or an outdoor skating place when you were growing up? Uh, I didn't have a backyard rink, but um, I was uh, lucky enough to live about uh, a two-minute walk from the ocean. Uh, we have a beautiful beach in my hometown, and you know, on one side of that beach, you face the ocean. On the other side uh, is what was referred to as the low side, and uh, the low side had a creek that would freeze over every winter. And, uh, yeah, that's where I did a lot of my outdoor skating. You know, I you could walk down to the creek knowing that there was always going to be kids there. And you could just jump into a, a game of hockey or go for a long skate on this uh, beautiful ice, ice surface. And, you know, I just remember spending hours out there. I think, you know, a lot of the days I would you'd, you'd skip lunch. You know, me, <laughs> meals weren't important when you had that that uh, kind of an ice surface to play on. Uh, you know, and I just remember, you know, we'd have boots for hockey nets and 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 such a long ice surface where if you scored, yeah, you know, you, you know, it was nice to score, but. There's also a bit of a punishment where you'd have to skate for a long, long time to retrieve the puck that you just put through the net. When you're um, when you're out in the backyard at night, you know it's it's minus twenty, and you're out there flooding the rink today uh, or this winter. Um, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about organic chemistry, or are you thinking about uh, you know your childhood skating out on uh, out on the creek, or, or are you thinking about something else? That, that's a that's a great question. I, I think it. I, I think all of the above. I mean, you know, you know, the backyard rink is something, you know, my primary reason for doing it is that it's fun for the kids. But 
I'd be lying if I said part of it wasn't because I love doing it. You know, there's the, there's the, the part of love seeing, you know, loving to see your kids enjoying that backyard rink experience. But also it's certainly uh, some good therapy for, for me because those, those quiet nights, as you mentioned, you know, uh, usually, you know, there's not a lot of sound because of the, you know, muffling of the, the snow, um, just very quiet time flooding the rink. And, and yeah, I have a, a lot of thoughts. It's, it's sometimes I'm thinking about my teaching, you know, it's the night before a class and I might be thinking about what I'm going to do to get a certain point across the students the next day. Or other times it's, you know, thinking about, um, you know, kids' activities for the next day, uh, you know, just uh, <laughs> who's going where and, and, and you know, uh, the divide and conquering that my wife and I are going to have to do the next day. Uh, and yes, you know, I, I'll often think back to my childhood days of skating. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that the creek was uh, the, the place I think of the most, but there were uh, a couple of people in my area that had backyard rinks and you know I think back to them and and you know looking out the back window uh, of my home to see uh, somebody flooding the rink and how you know it looked like they were <laughs> looked like they were very relaxed and enjoying that time and I certainly enjoy that time now as well. A final question I want to put to you um, and this is for all the parents out there since most people who make backyard rinks are parents they're doing it for their kids um, and they're, they're concerned about their kids' future, obviously. You're a science educator, and I think parents realize that their kids need to study science or need to, you know, they feel this pressure their kids need to be good at science in school. Uh, what, can, uh, what can parents do to take the fear out of science, uh, out of their kids? You know, I think students uh, or young, young kids need to be introduced to science in a fun way, and that's why you see you know, uh, universities will have open houses where they're, you know, they're, they're creating slime for kids or, or showing them interesting uh, demonstrations where it, it's fun. I mean, that, that's how you get students interested initially is to show them that it's fun. As they get older, um, I think you really have to, um, you know, break it down for them, show them that it's relevant, um, you know, show them the importance of the science that they're studying. Uh, you know, maintaining that fun factor throughout. But, you know, I think so many of us, uh, you know, teachers, university professors, we focus so much on content and information transfer. But I think, you know, if you want students to succeed in science, you really have to think more about strategies. You know, often we think that if we uh, teach something to a student, they're automatically learning it. But but it's not always the case. And so there are... Um, you know, strategies in terms of metacognition, problem solving, time management that we should be thinking about when we uh, teach students science as well. Okay, Steve, listen, thanks a lot for uh, helping us out with the podcast here and uh, good luck with your rink and good luck uh, with your science teaching this fall. Great. Thanks, Robert. Uh, very nice chatting with you this morning. That was Stephen McNeil. He is a chemistry professor at Wilfrid Laurier University, and I reached him via Skype earlier this year at his home in Waterloo, Ontario.
That just about does it for another episode of Rink Talk. I'm Robert McClemon. I'd like to thank our musicians, Keenan Reimer-Watts, Clarissa Webb, and Ryan Dougal. If you liked what you heard today, please make sure to like us on iTunes or wherever it is you download your podcast. A quick note about next week's podcast. Normally, we release new episodes on a Friday, but the next one's going to be a couple days late, and the reason is that it's about shinny hockey. And as part of it, I'm going up to Ottawa to watch the outdoor NHL matchup between Ottawa and Montreal, and I want to record a couple interviews with some folks up there. So to squeeze those in, I'm going to have to delay production by a couple days. But don't worry, it'll be worth the wait. Thanks for joining us. I'm Robert McClemon.